0: Welcome to Lemonade Planning, 10 Steps to an Interim Plan. How to make lemonade with the lemons that you've been given. Okay, let's start with the bad news. As of this recording, there's been 100,000 deaths now in America according to the CDC statistics. That is more than every war from the Korean War until today. Without widespread testing, we most likely will have a second wave. California's state deficit is $56 billion. So here in California, organizations are going to deal with a lot of cuts. And we have an economic forecast provided for you in the show notes that says that this is going to be a W-shaped recovery. We'll recover a bit as people come back to work. We'll have a second wave with another falling out, and then a long, slow recovery that is looking to take about 18 months, according to economists. In the middle of COVID, we did a workshop with 125 organizations represented, and we did a little survey, we found out that a third of them, just over a third of them, were working harder than ever, making the social service network happen for people going through the crisis. And most of them were doing it with the same funding or less than they had before. There's another third of groups that are completely stymied, they can't work at all because they've been closed down. Arts groups, cultural groups, any groups that had to have people come to give their programs are not able to do that anymore. So a lot of them are just out of work right now. So roughly two thirds of organizations are pretty badly damaged, one because they're doing too much, another because they can't do anything at all. On top of that, we've linked you to a catch a fire poll that shows that between 70 and 80% of events have been canceled uh, and revenue Things like in-person fundraisers, earned income, donations from individuals, canceled programs, uh, all of these are in the 70 to 80 percentile. It's pretty bad out there and it may seem very bleak, but it's good to remember how good we have it. If this had happened 20 years ago, we wouldn't be able to work from home on our computers. We wouldn't be able to connect with people via Zoom. We wouldn't be able to do many things because those things would not exist. But if you're thinking this is just a bump in the road, you got it wrong, this is a new road. A lot of the things that we used to do we're never gonna do the same way again. People were afraid to get on Zoom for meetings, to buy things over the internet and have them delivered, uh, do takeout food, all of those things are gonna change now. A lot of things will never go back to the way it was. And some things will go back in a different form. So when we're thinking about the future, we have to stop thinking about that we're going back to the way things were. This is a new normal. Someone said if you change nothing, nothing will change. That's true. We can't move forward unless we change. John F. Kennedy said that the Chinese characters for the word crisis are two characters, the one for danger and the one for opportunity. It's important for us to note that with the dangers that comes with this crisis, there are opportunities for us. We're in the forefront of defining the world for the next decade. And if you're stuck in the middle of the ocean, you're just sitting in a sea and there's no wind at your sails, you have to adjust the sails. You have to pivot to a new direction to pick up the wind. There's a great TED talk by Angela Lee Duckworth on grit. And there are many studies saying the only great indicator for success is grit. The ability to fail and get up and try again. Simon Sinek, the great thought leader on leadership, he, he said in his uh, meeting, and I'm paraphrasing now, that we should embrace change. This is not new. Empires form around disruption. Ask Amazon, Uber, or Netflix. Empires fall from playing it safe. Ask bookstores, cab companies, or video stores if you can find them. And if we can't change... Then we become the next blockbuster. So it's time to erase the old chalkboards and start over. Included in the show notes for this podcast are the links that we gave out in our Zoom webinar. Please follow up on those links and you'll be able to get more out of this webinar after you're done listening to it. The first 20 minutes of our webinar was Amanda Green from 10C, a local training and volunteer development agency here in Orange County. She talked about a whole host of post-COVID programs that are available for organizations here in Orange County. But since this is a national podcast and it has a life beyond the here and now, we're going to skip that if you would like to hear what Amanda Green had to say and the resources offered by 10C, you can find them on the YouTube version of the Lemonade Plan, which is available on the GNSU YouTube channel. The link for that channel is in the show notes. Fear is made up of four letters, F E A R, that can stand for forget everything and run or face everything and rise. The choice is yours. Welcome to 501C3BS. I'm your host, Sue Velasco, Director of the GNshi Center for Nonprofit Research at Cal State Fullerton's Mahalo School of Business and Economics. Join me today as we debunk the myths of the social sector. We will cut down the weeds and clear your path for organizational growth. All right, so there's 10 steps that I'm outlining here for creating a COVID post-COVID plan. And I'm going to go over each of these uh, in depth, but just to go over them quickly, C- leading crisis to a new normal, triaging your decisions to you know, figure out which way to go, doing your evaluation, information gathering, strategic partnership opportunities, board and leadership team kind of creating and building that um, a program plan with budgets and timelines, rolling the plan out, managing by timelines and budget, and then telling the story. And finally, evaluating it so you can do a longer-term plan afterwards. So we're going to start with the leading in crisis to a new normal. When I teach leadership, and I and I teach leadership at Cal Poly Pomona, and I've taught it for one OC, uh, shout out to Kevin, and I've taught it uh, at Cal State Fullerton with our CEO training program, and um, I can tell you that uh, you know everybody wants to be a consensus-building democratic leader, but. The other three styles are are very important in certain aspects. So if you have a newer staff and an older leader that's more seasoned, then maybe a coaching style is better. But the flip side of a coaching style is it can be a micromanager style. So if you have uh, somebody who's, Doing a little too much coaching, it becomes micromanaging. A laissez-faire style is where you have somebody that uh, a lot of businesses have this kind of leader that, hey, my job is to hire great people and let them do their work and leave them alone and just make sure they're getting their work done. That would be kind of an absentee leader. If you look at it a negative uh, standpoint and a positive, it's kind of live and let live. I hire good people and let them go. And that can be great if you have seasoned staff that know what they're doing and you're hiring great people all the time. Um, but a directorial leadership, if you look at it in the negative, it would be a dictatorial leadership style. And and that's kind of that A-type personality. Now, I'm an A-type personality, and I started off as a directorial leader and had to learn to become a more democratic, consensus-building leader. But guess what? Directorial leadership, there's one time when that is the best leadership style, and that is during crisis, When you are in crisis, you need somebody to be the directorial leader, somebody who's going to take charge, make decisions quickly, not have to ask everyone or take the temperature of the room to make a decision because you don't have time for that. So this is a time when all us A-type personalities get to thrive in our directorial style of leadership. And directorial style is is the great way of saying it because what you are is you're the director of your movie. You're making your movie uh, on your set and you're in charge of every decision. And there are people above you that are the producers, or in our case, the board of directors that are maybe helping us fund that movie. But we are in charge of the decisions that make that movie if you're the CEO. So um, this is a good styling crisis. Uh, It requires leaders that have confidence. So if you're not comfortable in that directorial style, then you need to become comfortable with it and learn to be confident with your decisions. It is uh, an opportunity to be decisive, to uh, reassess weekly with your board chair and senior partners, kind of make sure that they're on board with your decisions because being a director can be a dictator if you don't get people on board. So it's, it's one thing to make those decisions, but you have to get people to, uh, to rally behind them. And that's important with your board to make them community ambassadors to, to get out there in the community and talk up the organization, especially in a time of crisis. It's also a, an opportunity to trim the staff when needed. Um, and we'll talk more about that in a second. It's a great time to let go of old plans that are no longer relevant, programs that are no longer working. And remember, this is not a bump in the road. It's a new road. So some things that used to, uh, that barely worked before may never work again. Um, Uh, And there are things, there are opportunities here for politics, too, because let's face it, all of us organizations have politics that may keep a program afloat longer than it should, or keep a staff member with us longer than they should because of some political connection. But you have the COVID card now, and you can pull that card to get rid of things that are Um, Just staying on board because of politics. That could be a a board member who's not carrying their own weight. That could be a staff member who's not carrying their own weight. That could be a staff member that's uh, uh, a contractor that is now going to be a problem with AB 5 compliance. It could be a lot of different things. And if you're not sure what I'm talking about, AB 5 compliance, one of the links that I sent you is our podcast and our YouTube video on AB 5 that we did uh, about a month ago that has. Uh, pardon the pun, gone viral and done very well now. It may help trim the fat developed over time. So there's a lot of things that you can let go of that would have been hard in normal times that are much easier with COVID. So you have to look at intentional discontinuation of programs, what can be reduced? What can be eliminated? What is mission critical? And we'll talk more about this in a second. I have a a great slide to triage these decisions. But it's an opportunity for you to pull that covid card and eliminate things that politically wouldn't be expedient might eliminate or drain the organization and um and you can explore questions about activities and programs that have outlived their usefulness so uh we'll we'll talk about all this more in a second here you could build your team you have to boost the morale of your organization i mean people are are suffering people are dying there's been more deaths since all the wars since korea with this Uh, So we need to really boost morale and keep people focused on the positive uh, of the organization. That can be really hard in organizations that's been shut down. So you have to find ways of doing that. And I'll talk about some great models of that uh, a little bit later in the presentation. You have to check in frequently with people. You have to um, appreciate the jobs that are well done. And one of the great things that our leader at Cal State Fullerton has done, you know, everything is being brought down by Sacramento by edict. And he's been really great about being the cheerleader for the organization and really making people feel appreciated, making them feel that band of brothers, camaraderie, um, you know, that's a reference to the world war II group that, you know, became so close. They were closer than a family because they went through the trenches together. It's that kind of a feeling that you want to instill your biggest asset is your mindset. So if you look at these things in negative terms, the people under you will do the same. You have to be positive. You have to look for, where the, where the sun is coming in the future. And uh, remind people that you don't grow when you're comfortable. This is a great opportunity to grow with change. So once you've got your leadership in order and th- then you're making your triage decisions. So I sent you a great podcast on this, but basically triaging is something that happens in hospitals, it happens in battlefields. When you can't take first come first serve because you have to take people who are going to die first, you have to do the same thing in crisis with budgets, decisions, staff. What's most important? What's most sensitive? You can forget about what's no longer relevant. Um, basically, the people left for dead, uh, or in the case of programs, the programs that are left for dead. And uh, and what's least time sensitive thing? You know, the broken leg doesn't need to be fixed right away. You can wait on that. There's more important things out there. And that's a great thing you can tell your staff too when they're when they're worried about things that are inconsequential. You know, focus them on the big picture. So what do we have that's important, what should be put on hold, what should be canceled entirely, and what will flourish in a post-COVID world with some tweak? This is a great um, matrix that was put together by Jan Masaoka, who did a, a really great book on um, planning. She was our guest at our G3X conference a few years ago, and she put this together. It's really great. You know, what has the the heart is the, the high mission impact, low profitability, your star has high mission and high profitability. Your money tree is just something that brings in money, but maybe is more social enterprise than mission focus. And the stop is something you don't need to do anymore because it has very low mission and very low profitability. So it'd be good to go over with your board chair and maybe your senior staff what these things are quickly and triage uh, your programs by this. So uh, the next step is, is to do a quick evaluation. And normally when I do a normal plan with people, it's a 90 day evaluation, but we don't have 90 days. So this has to be done within two weeks. And um, this is the steps for this. You have to look at all the, the new organization that you've now triaged, what you've thrown away, what you're tweaking, what you're keeping, and, um, and kind of put that down on paper. What does the new organization look like? Do a SWOT analysis. Uh, and I'll go over that in a second. New opportunities and innovations, model programs, recalibrate the metrics. I'm going to go over each of these with a slide. And then uh, the one thing I won't do in a slide is ask yourself what makes us unique. This is a great thing to do for funding. Because if you can't answer that question, what makes you the only organization in Orange County that, that serves this mission in this way? But then you're going to have trouble getting funding for it. So a SWOT analysis, uh, if you've never seen one, I I think most of you have by the poll I did, so I'm gonna go kind of fast here, is you have the the internal strengths and weaknesses, the external opportunities and threats, those are external to your organization. The strengths and opportunities are positive, weaknesses and threats are negative. When I do this with organizations, I, I give them this template and I say, you know, please come up with five of the positives and three of the negatives, because if you can't come up with five good things about your organization, that are big overarching things, then you, you might be in trouble. And you don't want your your negatives to be greater than your positives or even as much as your positives because there's a psychological thing that happens with that. So I ask organizations to only limit it to like three weaknesses and threats that are big overarching things. So, you know, an example of, of this might be a strength, might be a great board or a great uh, uh, staff or, um, you know, um, a, a diverse uh, um funding base or uh, an endowment. Weaknesses could be things like um, a, a weak board or all of your funding coming from one funder. Um, in, in our case right now, maybe a, all your funding coming from a big state grant that's about to be cut, which would become a threat then is a, a state grant funding could be threatened. Uh, an opportunity would be, and by the way, I just want to point out your funding coming from a state grant is internal, but the straight state grant being cut is external. So um, opportunities would be, you know, things like a strategic partnership or a strategic alliance uh, between the GNSG and 10C on training. That would be an opportunity. A threat could be, uh, like I said, uh, so, so, uh, one of your funding, major funding sources going out or having too many eggs in one basket. So opportunities, you need to look at where you can find opportunities by drawing upon your board opportunities. Maybe there are political things that can be pushed aside because of COVID, where you could try things that your board wouldn't let you try before, maybe you can motivate your board now in ways that they couldn't be motivated before. Um, It's a great opportunity for building boards, and we're going to cover that when we get to the board step. Uh, Innovative uh, opportunities. What pilot innovations can you try now? This is a great time to innovate and try things, you know. Necessity is the mother of invention, right? And when I say pilot, that is highlighted because the key to innovation is keeping innovation small enough that that they're allowed to fail and experiment and won't tank the organization. Okay? So um, we'll talk a little bit more about innovation in a second. I have a slide for that. And uh, and then what things can you tweak in your existing um, programs that will lend it to a post-COVID world? What opportunities exist in the new normal? Many of them are gonna be digital opportunities. So I had a great management teacher that said, there's only two ways to change things. I'll never forget it. He said, you can, you can wipe everything out like a hurricane, you know, fire all the staff and start over, but it'll take you a long time to rebuild. Or you can just make incremental small changes uh, over time, like evolution, and it'll take you a long time to build. And, and his, the point was that no matter what you do, it's gonna take a long time to rebuild. Uh, now, in the case of a crisis, everything is already wiped out for you, like a hurricane. So you don't have to worry about change because change has happened. So the advantage to building in a crisis is that this decision has been made for you. Your point is now to Marie Kondo it. So what I mean by that is only bring the things back into your organization and your rebuilding process that help it in the new normal. That means you can sweep away a lot of the clutter and things that Maybe we're a problem for your organization in the past, but as I said, because of politics or other reasons, we're not expedient to get rid of. So you have a different priority list now. Uh, Innovation. So a lot of people think that innovation is all about creativity, and that's bullshit. Um, Innovation is not about creativity. It's about the scientific method. It's about building on things in a small way creating small pilots and where you can experiment and you can fail without it affecting the whole organization those people who think that innovation is about you know being allowed to fail uh, and trying new things that's only half of it that only works if you're doing it on a small scale you don't want to jeopardize your whole organization for an an idea Uh, so pilots are the key to innovation now is the best time in the world to try new pilots Um, and I do a podcast on innovation. The link is in the email that was sent to you, Um, so you can check that out. So how can you innovate with new needs, new ways to deliver your mission, trying new things out? Is there a pilot that you could try right now? And I'm going to guess that lots of you can, and I I decided to come up with an example that we could carry through this talk of, let's say, a pet shelter having to do online pet adoptions. That might be a new pilot for them. Just remember that you didn't fail. You just found out another way it won't work. That's the motto of the pilot. There is no, there is no failure in pilots. It's just, okay, we got to tweak it. This didn't work, so we tried this way. Trial and error, experimentation until it works, and then you scale it up. Once you have a working pilot, you have proof of concept, you have people that will invest in it, and it's much easier to scale. Another great thing to do is don't reinvent the wheel. You might think you need to create a pilot program on something and then you Google it and find out there's five other people doing it and they're doing it well in other parts of the country. So uh, uh, an example is I decided I'm now the CEO of a pet shelter. Um, How am I going to do online uh, pet adoptions? I Googled online pet adoptions and I got like 20 that were already doing it across the nation and doing it well with amazing uh, marketing ideas for it so I could call any one of them and learn from their mistakes and not have to create them myself. So these are some examples of model programs that have happened right here in Orange County. The Muckenthaler that I used to run is now run by a great new director, Farrell Hirsch. He did this thing where they, on the first week of COVID, they had to shut down their gallery, their art, Uh, programs, uh, all their classes, all their outreach programs, all their stages, and they didn't know what to do with themselves. So they decided to clean out their art supplies. And in doing that, they had these artists that weren't working and these art supplies that couldn't be used and they were going bad. And they put together art kits that would go out through a drive-through in their parking lot to parents that they could take home to their kids and give them something to do while they're now having to be parents and workers at home. And, um, They were a huge, huge hit. It was a great idea. And uh, a funder said, can you also do this for seniors? Now they're making $40,000 in the first six weeks of funding for these art kits. That's put them back to work. They opened their gallery up with the uh, Rotary Club of Fullerton to make masks uh, for uh, Fullerton's uh, St. Jude's Hospital. They're making masks now for five hospitals. That's opened them up to funders from the Rotary Clubs that are now looking at them as a source of funding. They put out funny videos that kept them in people's um, view. They even had me do one with with the the current director uh, doing a lip sync of everything you can do, I can do better. You can find it online. Uh, They did uh, drive-in performances, just started that. The very first one happened this weekend. It sold out in five minutes. Uh, They started a sculpture garden so people could walk around the neighborhood and see sculpture. So all of these things have kept them relevant when all arts organizations have become very irrelevant. Uh, in in the age of COVID, at least while during the lockdown. And they figured out a way to stay, to to kind of pivot into the wind there. Pure Game is a soccer organization. They had been wanting for a long time to do online soccer programs. Nobody wanted to fund it. COVID came along, they did it as a pilot. The school district picked it up and within six weeks now they're doing it at several school districts and it's become the main part of what they do is an online soccer program. Parents have picked it up as well. Mayor posted did the same thing with counseling online. Habitat for Humanity, they had a, a fundraiser scheduled for three weeks after COVID started. They decided not to cancel it, but move it online. They actually made more money than they would have net profit if they had had the fundraiser because they didn't have as much costs. So now they're gonna incorporate virtual fundraisers into the way they do things in the future. Um, one of my favorite stories is Sweet Farm. Sweet Farm is a, a nonprofit, um, uh, organic farm up in Northern California, they had uh, a thing where corporations would come and do corporate build days, uh, days where they would bring their managers, uh, as a, a team building exercise and they would pay sweet farm for the, for the pleasure of doing that. Well, they couldn't do those anymore, so they decided to do goat to meeting and have goats show up at people's meetings. It was a brilliant idea, it caught fire, it caught national attention. In six weeks, they made more money than they did all last year from their corporate donations. Now, that they can't keep that up, but it was a great interim plan. Solidarity uh, and Hoya Scholars, and I know Christian's here today with us, they teamed up, did some great strategic partnerships. They're two faith-based organizations Uh, working in some underfunded neighborhoods in Fullerton with teens. One does scholarships, the other works on social enterprise. They teamed up and they are creating a a network for those families in these neighborhoods and have been able to bring funding to help them kind of continue their work in a different way. So uh, Tia, Tia is an organization that works with um, refugees uh, who are here in Anaheim. And they do all kinds of work and they put together a social enterprise food truck business so that some of their refugees who are great cooks could get a job cooking on food trucks. And of course, the food trucks in the first couple of weeks got put out of business. And so they turned that into frozen dinners that they would deliver to senior centers. And that was their way of pivoting. So there's great model programs out there, just even in our own community of how people have pivoted in the crisis. So like I said, I looked up pet adoptions. I found a lot of people online already doing it and doing it well. I could easily call them and I don't have to do a pilot. I can just roll it out because I know it works somewhere else. I just have to tweak it for our community. So once you have done all this evaluation, looked at model programs, looked at pilot programs, now you have to recalibrate your metrics. What changes need to be made in deadlines for staff funding and budget? Do you need new job descriptions because of new staffing uh, or changes in staff roles? Are there new target uh, numbers? Do you have to come up with new dates for reopenings? Um, how about uh, moving programs online? What does that look like? What does the rollout look like? So. Once you've gotten to this stage here, you uh, you pretty much have a pretty good uh, internal view of what your programs look like. Now, I've made this a separate step because this is one of the most important things that organizations that succeeded in the last crisis, uh, the, the 2008 to 2012 recession, the 38 organizations that I'm studying that did well, a lot of the reasons they did well was because of uh, strategic partnership opportunities. Um, strategic partnership opportunities means working very well with another organization or organizations to better serve both your missions at the same time. And that could look like a lot of different things. It could be working well for funding. Uh, Maybe you're eligible for bigger grants because you're working together. Uh, You wouldn't be able to eligible for those grants if you were by themselves. This is what we need to do as organizations to get through the gaps of a crisis. And it's much easier if we look externally by focusing on strategic partnerships with funders uh, with other organizations and one way to do that is by creating a resource map so you get all uh, you get a resource map together by just making a list uh, maybe an excel spreadsheet of service clubs uh, that would be like rotary clubs kiwanis clubs um, banks Chambers of Commerce, government agencies that can help you, school agencies that can help you with your mission, other public benefit organizations, meaning nonprofits. I just hate using the word nonprofits, and I do a whole podcast about that. You can listen to sometime. But um, figuring out how to strategically partner with other organizations. And it would also include for-profit businesses. It would include um, funders. But how can you create relationships that help both your missions? And really, part of that is listening to the other organization, finding out what their mission is and how you dovetail together. And a great example of that is 10C and the GNSE doing it for this particular thing that you're listening to right now. Okay, so once you've uh, capitalized on, on strategic partnerships that are external and added those to the equation, now you can put together your board and leadership team. So that might be um, really kind of assessing how you can make the most of the COVID opportunity as it relates to your board. Um, Obviously, you want to have your board chair, and maybe if you have an incoming board chair on your your committee, uh, your planning committee, uh, maybe a senior staff person or two if they're really important to your plan um, on your committee. But keep your committee small. And then give your board a mandate evangelize them to go out in the community and work for you. How many of your board members, every time you put out a social media post, how many of them are sharing that post, liking that post? You know, I would say if they're not engaged with your social media, then they're not active and engaged as a whole. You know, there was a poll done by board source that showed that 80% of board members across the United States could not recite their uh, organization's mission statement. So it is not uncommon that most boards are not heavily engaged. There's the 80-20 rule in boards. you know, 80% of the work is done by 20% of the board. And we have to get away from that. And this is a great opportunity to do that. Your board should be evangelists for your mission in the community. And you should be having every single board member should be liking every post that your organization comes out with and should be sharing it on their feeds. If you just ask them to do that much and talk about you in the community to uh, people that can help you, that would be a huge thing. Um, They should be doing what is asked and what is needed, when it's needed. This is a great time to talk to your board chair about, you know, um, putting an ultimatum to board members that we're in a crisis. If you can't step up, you need to step out. And that doesn't mean they couldn't be involved on an advisory board or as a funder or as a volunteer, but if they're not up for the board assignment, then they shouldn't be doing the board assignment. Um, Recruit committee members. Okay, by the way, I I included in the email that went out a link to our board development podcast, which is uh, I think a really great way to, to look at board development. If you're recruiting people to be on your board that have never been active in your organization, that's like going up to uh, a girl or a guy that you're interested in and saying, hey, let's get married, and they've never met you yet, or they've met you twice. You should first ask people to get involved on a committee before they get involved on the board, and then they can get to know you, and you can get to know them, and then see if you're right for marriage. So this is a great opportunity to get prospective board members involved in committees for you. Um, and a, a great way to kind of coordinate that with your board chair. Um, we had a good suggestion actually um, oh, good. from Tracy. Tracy, yeah, Tracy was saying that um, one thing that they do. Tracy, you're with Child Creativity Lab, right? So one thing that they do is um, have more posts on LinkedIn. So I think originally they were doing more posts on Facebook and Instagram, but a lot of board members are on LinkedIn, and so that's a great way to get them engaged and. Um, we've even seen this with 10 c too. Like I, I think a lot of you saw a volunteerism virtual event and that was the way that we were able to say, Hey, look for this on LinkedIn, like it, share it. Um, and we gave them some, you know, information about some of the nominees that they would be able to talk about. So I think that helps a lot. You know, it's funny you mentioned that I, um, I have moved off of Facebook entirely, partly because I have a ethical problem with Facebook and Instagram. Um, but, uh, that's another story for another day, but I do almost all of my social media on LinkedIn. I find it to be very effective. I use Twitter as well and YouTube and my podcast, but, uh, between my podcast and LinkedIn, I get most of my social media done. So I think that's a, a great point. Board members should be working their networks for opportunities for partnership and funding. I mean, their key job as a board member is to be an evangelist for you in the community. If they're not doing that, they're not doing a great job. So this is a great opportunity to motivate them. So now that you've gotten those first five steps, you basically have everything you need to put a plan together. You just have to now put it into a, a way that works as a plan, and that's what we're going to talk about in step six. So, what is the story you want to tell? We have a speaker coming up for a conference this year at the Gianneschi Center, and he is the uh, his his title is Planning Arch- or Story Architect for JPL NASA. And he works for, for NASA JPL and what his job is, is to go out to all the engineers and ask them what they want their story to be three years from now for, for the NASA missions. And then he crafts those stories into a narrative and that narrative is the starting basis for their planning. So think about if you did that, if we as organizations went out and asked our senior staff and board members, um, and even maybe our key funders and, and volunteers. What we want our story to be three years from now and work towards that story. So, I always tell people when planning never to have more than three goals because it has to be manageable and you need to be able to keep it in your head to be a workable plan. And those goals I think are best if one goal is a leadership or board goal, one goal is a staff or program goal, and one goal is a financial or performance goal. So, here's some examples like um, maybe just 100% in board engagement with our social media feed. That's a very simple doable goal for a year. How about two board members with special skills brought on to our board? So these are very doable goals that you can easily do within a year. Um, They should be like that, something easy to do. You would only do one of these. I have two examples under each, but you only need to do one of these. Um, I'm just giving you two examples. So uh, an example for a program goal might be to just start a pilot program with a ninety-day uh, uh, stint, and then you're going to evaluate it at sixty days and see if you can scale it up after ninety days. So, th- uh, a good uh, example for a financial goal might be, "Hey, just to get back half of the twenty percent of funding we lost during COVID." Yeah, you know, that's simple. How how are you going to do that? So. Once you have your goals, the next thing you need to do is add objectives to those goals. Objectives are the steps you need to get to the goal. If my goal is to get from here to San Francisco, I need to know all the freeway exits that I need to change on to get there. Um, so what are those steps to achieve that goal? Then once you have the steps, what are the deadlines and staff I need to create those steps? So what step? What staff do I need to make that step happen? And what deadlines and budget does that person need to, to achieve that goal, to achieve that objective? I'm sorry. So once I do that, I can figure out the costs. I can figure out the income generated. I can add that all to a budget. I can add those deadlines to a timeline. So I'll give you an example of this. If we're doing pet adoptions, rolling out in 90 days, uh, okay, what staff do I need to do that? I'm going to write down those objectives. I'm going to write down what deadlines, what the costs are, what the incomes are. So in 30 days, I might create a plan for uh, virtual adoptions. I might have a Zoom training for staff. I might have a marketing plan, a pet adoption delivery plan. How are we going to deliver these animals? Or are they going to pick them up? In 60 days, what do I need to do? I'm going to have some kind of an evaluation for sure in 60 days. And then in 90 days, what are we going to need to do to tweak it or to scale it up so that we can go beyond 90 days? What are the budgets and the timelines for that? A budget would look something like this for a one-year plan. It would have the year before COVID, so I know what a normal time budget looks like, the year of COVID, so I know what everything this year looked like when it went all got all crazy, and then next year that we're planning, and in this case, we're, we're figuring that we're going to try to get a little bit above what we were before COVID, and we're going to keep our expenses down because COVID's given us the opportunity to cut some things. And so by doing that, we may end up as well, if not better than we started before COVID. And with each of these budget items, you see I've put them in very simple categories um, so that everything is in this budget, but everything's in very simple categories, so it's easy to read. So uh, in each of these categories, I'm gonna have a budget narrative. So for example, earned income increases earned income from virtual adoptions. The uh, innovative nature may open us up to new grants and tech grants, so that's the grants component. Um, new board efforts in online space would add increased corporate support because I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to do more things online. There might be ways to advertise online that might draw more corporate sponsorship. Um, although in individual donations, we're not going to go up. We're going to go down a little bit back to normal levels because that. Money that we got from COVID is not sustainable. So we think that's going to actually go back down a little bit. So there'll be notes like this for all the expense categories as well. Um, you know, uh, program expenses are going to increase, but the because of recessionary times, we don't think the physical plant uh, will increase. That'll go down a little bit or maybe stay the same, like that would be your facility costs, your insurance costs, etc. cetera. Um, our administrative costs we're going to keep those lean so you know there's something that explains each of these categories here okay then you're going to put a timeline together with all of those uh, things that came out of the uh, objectives for so there might be a timeline like this for each of your goals uh so you know we're going to create a plan for virtual adoptions in june we're going to start the marketing and the delivery plan in july we're going to announce it in August, roll it out in September, evaluate it in November, and then in December, we'll know what we're going to do to go forward in January. Obviously, the plan, the timeline would go for the entire next year uh, through through the fiscal year, but I'm just giving you an example of how we get uh, to January. So uh, it would it would move on from there. So now that we have our plan together, Ta-da, we've got a plan, we've done all this evaluation, we have our three goals, we have all our objectives, our budgets, our timelines, now it's time to roll it out. First, we're going to get the board to approve it, we're going to get the staff trained on whatever they need to do to make it happen, that would include giving each staff person, uh, department, budgets and timelines and deadlines, and then set up an evaluation process to evaluate it within 60 days uh, at the least... And then regularly on quarterly basis so every 90 days all right then you're going to manage by timelines meaning you have new metrics now from all of this so you can use those metrics to supervise your staff you can use the timelines to supervise and the budgets to manage so each staff department would have a timeline and a budget and you just need to make sure they're on budget and on time and then It's time to tell the story, the marketing relationships. This is the one thing that we're terrible at in our sector. Uh, Every time I do a a marketing workshop at GNSG, and I I would venture to say this is probably, I'm going to guess it's probably true for 10C as well. There's much less interest in marketing. But if I do a fundraising workshop, there's all this interest in fundraising. But what's funny is that 45 to 65% of, of income for all organizations is earned income. And even with our donated income, Almost all of our income comes from telling our story, either getting people you know, butts in seats as it is uh, for earned income uh, or, or people you know to, to purchase memberships, or to get those uh, relationships going to get people to give us money it 's about telling our story, and we 're terrible at it. If we spent more time on marketing, we would need to spend less time and money on fundraising, honestly. One thing you could take away from this it is the importance of marketing to our bottom line. Um, stories of success and crisis is what's needed. So, uh, you know, in the normal times, if your organization is doing poorly, you can get that message out there and people will give. But now every organization is doing poorly. So that message doesn't translate well. What organizations want to fund are the people who have pivoted and aren't succeeding in the crisis. They want to back a horse that's succeeding, they don't want to pay to rearrange deck, deck chairs on the Titanic. So you need to get your stories of success out there. Uh, board members need to be out there evangelizing you in person and in social media. Your stakeholders need to be liking and sharing your content. Um, you have to be telling your saga on a regular basis. Um, you should be doing at least biweekly uh, e-blasts and, and social media posts. Um, it's about your community, not your not you. And, and, and making sure that you're working for the earned media. So when I teach marketing, I also teach marketing at Cal State Fullerton. And there's three kinds of media. The media you own, which is your websites, your blogs, your podcast, your YouTube channel. You own those things. You control those things. There are ads. Most of us don't do ads. But if you are a 501c3 organization, you can get $10,000 in free advertising through Google through TechSoup. So I hope you're all aware of that, taking advantage of it. But uh, regardless of that, if you're doing ads, you can control those, but people don't pay a lot of attention to ads. They don't pay a lot of attention to own media. What people pay attention to is earned media. That's where somebody has taken your ad or your post and they've shared it. And when they share it, other people see it, then they share it. And when something goes viral, it's because a lot of people have shared the original post And somebody who is called an influencer, somebody who has a big following has shared it, and that person is getting a lot of attention. So what you need to do is really get earned media, and that is getting your supporters to share your story. Once you've told your story, now it's time to evaluate. You could do a 30-day or a 60-day evaluation, depending on the program you're rolling out initially. And then after that, you should be doing one every 90 days. So if you do a 60-day evaluation, you need to do one 30 days later um, and then every 90 days after that. So uh, for a new program, you're gonna do it the first 30 or 60 days, but all of your programs should be evaluated every 90 days with quarterly updates to your board. I do that for every organization I've ever been a CEO of, whether they ask for it or not. Okay, we're doing a plan for the next fiscal year. If your fiscal year starts July 1st, say, then by October, you should, be, you should have a pretty good idea of how your plan has gone and be planning for the next plan. Now, by October of next year, you should have a pretty good uh, – sorry, not October. What would be uh, – uh, sorry, April. By March or April, you should be nine months into the next year. And you should know how things are going, and you should know whether you need to do another three-year plan or another interim one-year plan, because by then you'll know if the new normal has become normal or if we're still defining the new normal. Now, if you need help with your plan beyond this, I'm happy to help you. Uh, Orange County Community Foundation has subsidized me to offer a COVID planning membership. I do all of my consulting through memberships because of the way we're structured with the state that's just the easiest way to do the paperwork. Um, our normal planning memberships are $5,000. We're doing COVID planning memberships for $500. It's a lot quicker. It includes a template for planning along with two consulting meetings of up to two hours each. It also includes membership in the GNSG, which is our conference a seat at our conference and a seat at all of our lectures. That can be anyone in your organization can take those at any time, but you get one seat at everything. Just one last thought do more things that make you forget to check your phone i want to thank amanda green from one oc the orange county community foundation and the California State University Fullerton Mahalo College of Business and Economics Gianeshi Center for Nonprofits, our sponsors for the Zoom webinar that was the basis for our podcast today. Thank you for listening to 501c3bs, deprogramming for organizational growth. I'm your host, Velasco. 501c3bs is sponsored by... The Gianneschi Center for Nonprofit Research at California State University Fullerton and the Mahalo School of Business. Gianneschi is spelled G I A N N E S C H I. That's G I A N N E S C H I. Gianneschi Center for Nonprofit Research at California State University Fullerton and the Mahalo School of Business. Check out my Twitter feed at 501c3bs, my webpage at zoofelasco.com and my book, The First Hundred Days, on Amazon. The music is provided to us from our good friends at the traditional Brazilian choral group, Grupo Falso Baiano and Amy Molinelli. Find them at grupofalsobaiano.com. Thank you for listening. Have a great day free from BS.